this morning there's such an excitement in my heart i believe there is an excitement in yours as well i'm just overwhelmed by these words that you find in the book of first john chapter 3 when you read it it says behold what manner of love the father has given the father has bestowed the father has lavished what do we do to deserve a lavishing of love? Lavishing is giving beyond the need and the want to, to, to an extent that there is an excess. You don't know what to do with it. That's what God has done. He has lavished us with his love that we may be called the children of God. What an envious position to be to all the celestial beings but god never says to the angels you are my children god never says to any of his creation you are my son you are my daughter what a privilege behold that love She's overwhelmed by the love of God. Eh? I'm not the only one who's amazed by these things. Maybe I'm not even as amazed as David was. David was amazed by this love. David was a man who had done a lot, who had walked with God, who had seen many things. But David was also a man who was susceptible to the, you see, the flesh has a way of dealing with you, even at your very best. You will discover, you will come to a day where you are in Gethsemane. You are in the presence of the Lord, but the flesh takes ascendance over you. You can tell that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The man of God plays the harp. This harp, the demons tremble at the anointing that flows from this man. But the flesh says, look upon the roof. There is a woman bathing there. And David cries. He says, what have I done? With all the anointing, what have I done? Only to you, my God, have I sinned. Says, creating me a clean heart, Lord. I thought I was good. I thought I was standing. But Paul says, when you think you are standing, ensure that indeed you are standing. And David, after his messed up, is totally out sees the restoration of God. He writes, he ponders, he collates and collects his testimony and his failures. In someone eight, he sits somewhere, he ponders. Oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
you have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children the infant the the innocent murib arwena you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger or hunale sira hunale and avenger your enemy just wants you to be destroyed david says i look around i see everyone wants my demise i see everyone who wants to see me destroyed i see everyone who says he has done wrong you have to serve justice you have to punish him uri ke asheba kukwa sira siri ubodile murimu muahlule are but to silence him Oh the accuser of the brethren he stands before God every day he accuses you but the Lord silences him David says when i consider your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place what is man that you are mindful of him the son of man that you care for him you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor you made him ruler over the works of your hands you put everything under his feet all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field the birds of the air and the fish of the sea all that swim the paths of the seas oh lord our god how majestic is your name or If I speak in the 21st century I encounter men of brains I encounter intelligent scientists I encounter Barnaba Balandina lady they count and count innumerable stars they study planets they study the universe they say what excellency hapa bana botla ba modibo ba makala mo pesale ma wa explainer uri the heavens are telling the glory of god the wonder of his works declares the fame are mahodimo ayabulela their voices are telling hallelujah hallelujah mutumis amazulu ayababaza ubukhuluba David says when i put myself in the mind of a scientist who understands that you can never comprehend the works of god i'm i'm baffled what is man if you have so much that you can do so much you can love why choose man a man is an amazing being because when you read in the book of genesis chapter 6 verse 7 god is not baffled even as david is wondering god has answer but you see god hamakatsukurona we are surprised he's not surprised with us he knows us listen to what the bible says it says let's take it from verse 7 of genesis chapter 6 okay, let's take it from 5 up to 7 says the lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thought of his heart was only evil all the time the lord was grieved that he made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain so the lord said i will wipe mankind whom i created from the face of the earth 
Men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and beds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. What is man? God. How can man grieve you so much? And yet you love him unconditionally. You love him so much. Man messes up all the time. God says, I am grieved. The Bible reveals the knowledge of God about the man's heart. He says his heart is always inclined towards what? Evil. But I love him. Even when he does good, he still does it out of selfishness. But I love him. I love him. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart, whose heart of a man, is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart of a man is what? Is deceitful beyond all things. Who can understand it? But God says, though his heart be deceitful. What is it? I love him. I have a verse that just beat me hands down. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29. This only have I found. God made mankind upright. But men have gone in search of many schemes. Kasi sutu iri. Baipatelabu mene mene. God made men what? Upright. But man is always scheming how he can contradict God. Hamrimu are left. Man says, how can I find a way to go right instead? And God says, the devil comes and he says, you said left, he went right, destroy him. And mercy says, no. And the blood of Jesus says, father, have mercy on him. And God's love is poured. And man is going, he's doing his things. He's thinking, I have lucky. I'm doing it. And the mercy said, Lord, he does not understand. The devil says, destroy him. Jesus says, Father, forgive him. He knows not what he's doing. Don't look at him, Father. Look at me. Look at him through me. David ponders all these things. Who why are people so spoiled, rotten, and God loves them despite? Are you there with us? I see, as I said this morning, we, we, we arrived very early, like this hours, and I'm thinking, what's the point of sleeping, really? Let me just think, what is man? Who am I? You know, the funny thing is, the Bible does not hide the answers to men. It gives two answers. The one answer it says, man 
is nothing. He's like a, a, a grass that is here today, gone tomorrow. His life is like breath. It is, it disappears like nothing. Without God, man is nothing. Man can do nothing. But there's another answer. And that's the one that I want to tell you today. That man is God's beloved. God chose man to be his supreme expression on earth. That is why God loves men so. But then I want to also suggest to you something very interesting. When we say, what is man? When we read Psalm 8, we read it in the context only of post the fall, not post the cross. Ribala, Rishabilor, man has fallen, therefore man, though he has the, the image of God, man still is nothing. But I want us to read it according to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. A testimony that comes from Psalms. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2, and I want you to hear with me, that Psalm 8 was written with a prophetic foresight to it. Psalm 8 was not just about what is man. Psalm 8 was a pondering of what it is in the heart of God. There is something beautiful that's going to answer what is man. I'm reading from verse 5. Or it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. You are there again. Let's read with understanding again. Or it is not to who? To angels. About which we are speaking. So we are speaking about what is to come. That will be subjected. But the answer we already know is that that will be never subjected to who? To angels. Ne? Then he says this way. He says, but there is a place where someone has testified. There is what? A place. What is man? That you are mindful of him. The son of man that you care for him. Now look at the terms that were used. What is man? Ne? Yeah. Another rendition is the son of man. The two terms are used together at once. The two terms that explain the incarnation of Christ. The two terms when the word becomes flesh. The two terms are used. We'll come to that. He says, the son of man that you care for him, you made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. The Psalms put it up to there, isn't it? And when we read it up to there, we, we, we think only of man. We think of God loving you and I. But when you read fair, it says in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus what? 
What does your Bible say? Who has made a little lower than angels? He says we see Jesus. Who has made a little lower. That is the testimony of Psalm 8. Man, you made him a little lower than angels. We see Jesus who has made a little lower than angels, now crowned with glory and honor. Isn't that the same testimony? Who's crowned with glory and honor? Jesus. Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for who? For everyone. Now listen. In bringing many sons to glory. Eh? In bringing many sons to what? Jesus is crowned with glory. He's not brought to glory. He's not brought. He is crowned. He is the king of glory. He is made a little lower than angels. Now, in bringing those who, let's put it this way, all men have sinned and have what? Fallen what? short of the glory. Therefore, man has lost it, but Christ is crowned. Man is not crowned. He's brought to glory. How is he brought? Because he lost it. He felt short. He fell short of that glory. Now, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy. I would like it. The one who what? Holy. And those who are made holy are of what? Of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them one. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am. And the children God has given me. Let's go back. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 5 that we are all familiar with. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Why? Because you are of the same family. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself what? You don't know where that verse is. Philippians. Oh, sorry. Philippians 2 verse 5. So the Bible says he made himself what? Nothing. What is man without Jesus? Although he was God. The Philippians 2, right? Although Jesus is what? God. He made himself nothing. Who is nothing? You. And I. 
Because Jesus had to relegate himself to where the people have fallen short of the glory of God. So that he can bring them to glory. He made, the, made himself what? Are you still there, saints? He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The only time Jesus was nothing was when he was like you and me. When he just came, he says to the Father, glorify me with the glory I had. But if I have to be like them, what is man? What is man that Jesus, you will leave your glory and become nothing and take their nature? Are you there, saints? Jesus says, listen, listen to these words. In Matthew 16, he asked his disciples, who do people say, I, who is I, the son of man? Isn't this interesting that Jesus is called the second Adam, the last Adam rather, and the second man. He's called the son of man, right? Isn't it interesting that the book of Numbers says God is not a man. Neither is he a son of man. But Jesus made himself man and became a son of man and took upon himself the nothingness of man without God. Behold what manner of love. He made himself mutu. And you see, you and I are sitting there like, and heaven is wondering, how can the divine creator of all things become one of his creation? What manner of love? For you and me. I don't know if David knew this, but I thank God that you and I we know it. What David knew, he testifies. He says, the heavens above belongs to God. But the earth he has given to men. David knew that part. He testified about it. Amen. And there were so many things that David knew about himself, about the earth. He says, I, 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 I was conceived in, in, in sin. But then he's confounded by the unconditional love of God for men. After I experienced him, he still has a question. I don't understand why God loves us. When why do you why do you think God loves you? Jesus has not died, but God loves us unconditionally. I have two things I want to say. One is that 
in Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to hear this. It says there from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in who? In? For he chose us. Yo. I'm sitting there in the morning. I'm trying to think. If I mess up so much, why does God love me unconditionally pre and post the cross? For he chose us in him before the foundation. He loved us in him. And because God does not change, there was nothing that was to be, that was to happen. Adam could not change the choice of God, of the unconditional love that was given to us in Christ before the foundation. God did not start loving us after Jesus. God did not start loving us when he thought about sending us Jesus to us. He loved us in him before we were. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his love is unconditional. His love does not change. Adam. Adam may have changed and distorted the will, the image, the sense of God in our lives. But he changed us. He never changed God for us. We changed, but he remained the same. He loved us first. He blessed us first. He poured his grace. The foundation found the love of God already established for you and me. And when David asks, what is man that you are so mindful of him? Maybe we can answer because he loved us before. He loved us when there was nothing. There was no time. There was no Adam. There was no Eve. There was no earth. God said, in Christ, I have loved you. But you see, here's the thing. In Christ, Everything that is in Christ is eternally accepted in the beloved before the Father. Are So, we are loved before. The challenge is where in Christ. Eh? God loved us in Now, when you choose not to be born again, you choose not to be in Christ. You know what you are choosing? You are choosing to walk away from the unconditional, supreme love that is forever pouring. But the Bible says, when you come back to Jesus, you are forever accepted in the... So you and I are saints. Here's the thing. What is man that you are so mindful of him? Is David asking about the mystery of God's love? Paul answers it this way. He says... In the ages past, there was a mystery. I would like, 
This mystery, the, the, the angels are trying to understand it. The prophets are trying to understand. David, uh, Paul says, but this mystery has been revealed to me that in Christ Jesus, the Gentiles will be accepted. And then he says, this mystery is Christ in you. The hope of glory. He answers an old question. What is man? Man is God's supreme appointee of ambassadorship on earth. Nothing represents God in his image. And God loves man. Why? He chose him in Christ. He still chooses him in, in Christ. Where there are good news, there are always sad news, isn't it? Sad news must not last for long. That's why I must say them shortly. The good news is, we have been accepted in Christ Jesus. And so we ponder the question with David, what is man that you are mindful of him? And we understand man is the image of God. He's the apple of his eye. He's the heartbeat of God. Man is God's own, own, own chosen representation on earth. Man was chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation. And what is in Christ? The promises of God in Christ Jesus cannot be denied. So we ponder that question. Then we ask our own question. Who is God that you are not mindful of him? Who is that you and I are not? God is obsessed with us. When we do something, it hurts him, it excites him. When they touch the church, Jesus comes. The angel testifies as the same Jesus whom you see. Ascending, you'll see him descending. The Bible, the book of Hebrews says, he sits, after he has done everything, he sits waiting for his enemies to be made, his foot too. In, in, in our minds, we should picture Jesus sitting, isn't it? And there's a time that Saul starts persecuting the church. And Jesus, who's supposedly sitting there, just watching things happening, he cannot sit and watch. He comes down, he says, Saul, Saul. Saul, what is man? Saul, you want to know what is man? Man is my image. The church is my representation. The church is my body. The church is in me. Why, Saul, are you persecuting me? When you touch them, Saul, you touch me. But the church in response has to be asked. God is asked about his obsession with men. What is man? But the church has to be asked about his obsession with the world, with sin, with darkness. Who is God that you are not mindful of him? Why you love so many other things more than him? Now I want us to adopt a prayer this morning. In the book of Psalm 119. This, has, this, this was a desire 
of a man who has seen God. And has seen that God is consistent. Man is always fickle. Man is forever changing. He's capricious. Today, Nyam Tandu Jesu. Eh? Nyam Tandu Jesu. Tomorrow, Mabala Wonke goes. And you sing it so nice, like it is a good thing that sin has made your soil, your soul defiled and soiled from you sing a song like it's not a prayer of desperation of a man who says God loves me but I don't love him as I should God help me Jesus are you there listen to what this man says I find that this verse the first part describes me fully and I have no doubt that as I look in this congregation in his coming where Agir I see them who fall into the same whatsapp group as me listen to what it says verse 109 it says though I constantly take my life in my hands eh? though I what constantly take my life into my own I will not forget though I constantly take my soul and I stand here you know when I say to you as leaders we must never try to exemplify or model perfection we must model and wave faith in Jesus and a passionate love for him now I want to say with all the passion I can master to love Jesus. There is but a moment that turns into constancy of taking my life into my own hands. I plan for myself. And yet the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on, not on your own understanding. But I plan, I take resolutions. The, the Bible says, do not say Tomorrow, I will do this, I will do this, I will go there. And it says, if the Lord is willing, but I find myself in five years, in ten years, I want to do this, I want to do that. It's me, it's me. And I want to do all of these things. But friends, when you take your life into your own hands, you move it away from the provision of God's grace. What you start, you'll have to sustain on your own. What you build, you will have to ensure it does not, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If pastors are building their own churches, those churches one day, they will crumble. Only the church that is built on the foundation of Jesus, the author, will stand. And anything we take out of God's hands, we take it out of God's provision. How many resolutions have you taken as you sit there? How many plans are you having right now? What has the Lord said about those things? Nothing. What, who is God that we, when we plan, we are not mindful of him? Who is God that when you want to choose a partner, 
you just choose. You're not mindful of him. Who is God that you want to make a business deal? You just not consider him. Who is God that you and I are sitting here today and are going to partake of Holy Communion? And yet we never think of that blood that was shed.